Hi, and welcome to the Detoxicity Podcast, a show by men, about men, for everyone. My name is Mike Joseph, and I hope that you and yours are well. If you're a fan of this podcast, please make sure to hit that like and or follow button on whatever platform you're using to listen. Also, feel free to leave a rating or review. All honest feedback is appreciated. Finally, please like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash detoxpod and follow me on Instagram at it's Mike Joseph. My guest on this episode is David Lawson. He is a comedian, producer, director, and storyteller based in New York City. For the last five years, he has hosted the monthly Astoria Bookshop Storytelling Show, which has been featured in the New York Times. In this episode, David talks about being a class clown and how he's always had the urge to perform. He also talks about keeping a positive attitude and not being weighed down by negativity or cynicism. It's a pretty wide-ranging discussion that detours into the WNBA, anger management, the hetero male gaze, and much more. Check it out. I'm David Lawson. I perform one-man shows mostly is the thing that I love the most, uh, you know, in that niche of sorts. But I do stand-up shows. I, I've run a storytelling show on Astoria, Queens for six years, the Story Bookshop Storytelling Show. Uh, I acted on this Comedy Central sketch last year that usually... Uh, is the thing that now gets put in parentheses in my name all the time, and you know how that goes. And yeah, that's what I love doing, talking on stage. Like, if I could just say that, and that would be a thing, unfortunately, you gotta, you know. You are an on-stage talker. On-stage talker, you know. But that's, uh, people are like, okay, what does that mean? And, uh, yeah, the most recent show I did, or the two most recent, I did the show Nazis and Me about my encounters with hate groups over the years. And a show that I'm kind of done doing because uh, it was a limited thing. This show, the 2020 Book Report, where I read 12 books by people running for president and judged each candidate based on their book. Holy crap. Yeah. That's a lot. It was a it was a great undertaking that had some legs, uh, you know, last summer and last fall. But as you know, there's not even twelve legitimate candidates left. Right? Yeah, so, that's true. Yeah, so that one kind of came and went. When did you become? What, what possessed you to become a storyteller? Um. Well, first of all, the solo show thing started when I was in college, and so we were. Someone was teaching. Fires in the Mirror by Anna DeVere Smith, and I had no clue that you could be alone on stage and not be stand-up. I tried doing stand-up in high school, and, you know, some good shows, some, you know, you're the 16-year-old getting bullied at the open <laughs> mic shows. Right. Um, but when I saw that Anna DeVere Smith thing, I was like, oh my goodness, you could be alone on stage and be doing something just along one theme or one story. And then about seven, eight years ago, I started noticing all these storytelling shows around the city, usually at a lot of comedy clubs or places like the Duplex or uh, when QED opened out where I live in Queens. And I just started doing these shows all the time. And it, it really dovetailed in with me doing these uh, one-man shows that I've done for yeah about 15 years now. I've been doing the one-man show thing. Presumably, you are now comfortable being on stage in front of a large group of people. Have you always been comfortable being on stage or just talking in front of people? Yeah, I uh, I have, yeah. I've been pretty much like got the bug in middle school and was like tried to act in everything in high school and went to school for it at Emerson College in Boston. Uh, but yeah, was and I was, I, I should also mention to really get in deep, I was like an incredibly poorly behaved kid 
like acting out all the time. And uh, I had this genius sixth grade teacher. I'll say his full name, Brett Heflin. We're, we're now Facebook friends. Are you really? Yeah, man. Maybe he'll uh, see when I share this yes. and listen to the show. But he had the genius idea. I think I had the bug before that, but I would just yell out of class. Uh, I, I got a few suspensions, like really awful, like like prankster stuff, using four-letter words, you know, oh, like, oh, boy. Um, <laughs> and uh, he cut me a deal that if I would... Uh, keep my act together the whole day, I could do two minutes of whatever I wanted every day before the class. Oh, shit. And that was, like, huge. Just me alone on stage and all in front of the blackboard. And that was a real genius move. And in a lot of ways, that was, like, big-time bug bit me right there. Yeah. So you've always had the urge to be in front of a crowd doing some kind of spiel. Yeah. Like, And, uh, you know, I guess you could say the one thing it comes from... Uh, attention, hey, look at me, type of thing. But uh, I also really think, like, that when when one person is alone on stage, I think that elevates the experience of everyone in the room uh, in a way that no other medium quite can. And, uh, you know, that I, you come out of an experience like that. I love when I'm at a story, on a storytelling show here in New York City, and someone comes up and they say, you know, something like that kind of happened to me once. And then they tell me something in the next two minutes. And I'm like, whoa, you know, like, wow, that was, I'm glad that you, you know, are, are telling someone else about that or that like we're both laughing about that or that you got through that or are going to get through that sometimes. Right. Um, and that, uh, yeah, it just, it just gives you that like relatability, that one speaking to the many. Yeah. Right. I'm somewhat comfortable speaking in front of a crowd now, but up until maybe 10 years ago, the idea of doing anything in front of a large group just like made me ins- like insane with anxiety. So yeah. I-, I can't imagine as a kid just kind of being like, all right, I'm going to get in front of these people and I'm going to do my thing and, you know, not have any kind of anxiety or, or worry or, you know, not be scared. Yeah, it's like the good anxiety. I think, uh, who did I read? I think it was like, what is it, Johnny Rodden from the Sex Sex Pistols? Yeah. I think he talked about um, that if he doesn't have stage fright, that's a problem. That that means you don't care about what the folks in the crowd are thinking tonight. And they like, oh, like the perfect sweet spot of that going a long way. And, um, you know, hard work and prep in terms of writing and rehearsing and, and, and in terms of like hidden festivals of the one man show. That's not a fresh thing. I, I've hit mics with that. I've, you know, I've written it all out. I got it all. I'm ready for anything weird to happen in the crowd. Like that idea of, of you need a little bit of that anxiety, but you also need a lot of prep. So that anxiety isn't like, Oh, Oh no. Like, Oh man, what am I? I'm winging it. This is bad. What happens? I'm assuming you've been in situations where you've had like hecklers. Yeah. Not as much as, like, my true blue stand-up brethren. In the storytelling world, it is a little more, like... And I really come from, like, the theater world, where that's not as big of a thing. Like, these one-man shows, like, I come from a theater background. I mentioned right. an Anna DeVere Smith. Uh, she is, you know, not doing the Comedy Central half hour. Sure. Right. She's doing, like, the PBS 40 hour 45. Yes. But Heckler's happens, um... Or even more so than hecklers, just like disruption. Somebody spills a drink. Yeah. Somebody knocks something over, trips, or has uh, to run to the bathroom. Or you whatever. know, and, and sometimes 
like a, it's so amazing it's a little god's choreography as they say when you can like make that part of the whole thing in a great way at this monthly show i host um uh you know it's people are doing you know sex stories and pooping on the subway and stuff and i run it at this bookstore the historia bookstore and uh, when i'm in the middle of three minutes into something and like some parent thinks it's a good idea at seven o'clock to to bring their kid in to just browse and uh and you know I, that's something to deal with uh that's a fun one to deal with but uh yeah, it was at Three of Cups, which closed not too far from, where, right. from yes. where we are right here. Yeah. And here's an example of a bad one. And someone was fighting over their bill when I was on stage, and I just stayed with it, and that was a mistake. <laughs> I should have done something, you know. Uh, even if it's as jokey as, tr- like, fake mediating the argument between right. the bartender or just, you know, we don't need to hear my story. Well, what's up? Well, you thought this was going to be how much? And bartender, how much you charging? What's going on here? You know, just stuff like that as long as you can keep it, uh, you know, positively charged. So you've always been outgoing? Yeah, yeah. And would, are your folks outgoing? Like, is it just like a, a hereditary thing or did you... So it's interesting you should mention that, actually, because I do, you know, I really uh, have, like, the extrovert. I think that's the most natural thing. But I also have, like, a huge introvert part of me, I think, because my mother is super extroverted. Uh, you know that bit in Fight Club about single-serving friends? <laughs> that's like my mom. That's, like, everywhere. Um, uh, not bombing banks, just uh, that part. <laughs> just not, Let's just clarify the, just that. the one part. Yes. My mom is yeah. not blowing up financial <laughs> institutions. Uh, my father is a massive introvert, though. Uh, and I and I do have a little bit of that. And my survival job, actually, I rarely talk about the fact that, like, I, I, no one at work is going to know that I came from work to come do this podcast. Sure. So, you know, like, I, I don't know why. I, I just always kind of keep the two things separate, even though I've had many arts-related jobs. I think it's just always... Just keeping them separate, but mostly extroverted to my mother's, you know, just talk, talk, talk type of thing. Yeah. Don't think I'm, I'm like an introverted extrovert. Like I know how to turn it on. Mm -hmm. And when it's on, it's on. You know, in a place like your, your workplace or whatever, a lot of times you need to kind of turn that off or minimize it. It's a weird thing to kind of figure out. Do you want to divide your personalities almost? Yeah. Or do you want to just make everything like one thing? I've had this conversation with a friend of mine who works in like corporate for like a big food organization. Italy, whatever. I don't know what I mean. <laughs> but uh, really, it's like a friend's roommate. But I brought this up and she thought the idea of like separating that was nuts. But part of me was like, well, you, your job is your pursuit and that's it. And that's exactly like working corporate for a major food organization. I, I work in a museum. I like working in a museum. I think it's a great job. Uh, but it's not It's not talking on stage. You right. know, it's not, that's not what I'm doing all day. So then I feel this need to separate. It just, it, it just creates like a uh, lower use of energy throughout the day. Like uh, due to some things changing in my job, I'll go there. Uh, I am kind of like hopping over to a new job. Okay. But I'm still in my old job. And just speaking of the, using energy in the workplace, I have this one coworker who keeps asking me, how's your job search going? And I, I, I like, I don't want to like put down the hard boundary, but this person is not picked up on the fact that I'm like, fine. And they're like, any leads? I'm like, some. 
you know, like you gotta find you gotta spell some stuff out for folks sometimes. Sometimes, and you know, I don't. I, I I guess I'm taking the easy way out, just kind of waiting until I never have to see this guy again. Right. But uh, that is like uh, I just don't want to use the energy. On, <laughs> you know, I'm discussing that with this person at work. Yeah, that's not even work life balance. Like work art balance. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I mean, it depends on how you feel comfortable separating your life. Or dividing your life, yeah. or whatever the case may be. So when you, you know, do your storytelling stuff, is it, how much of it is, like, personal stories? Um, so, okay, 2020 Book Report was actually an interesting example of this. Because I knew that for each candidate I covered, I needed to have a section called Where I Come In. Because I think, personally, me being alone, I've done shows, I've done shows about, like, uh, uh, like how uh, digital technology changed pornography, this thing VCR love. I've done the show No Odd Job, kind of a similar thing about like the culture war behind video games, like the, the fact that I've lived through like the first seven generations of an art form type of thing. Yeah. So those are all like generalized themes. But the longer I'm on stage and it's not about me, I just feel disengagement. So a good amount of it needs to be... Um, personal storytelling like trying to connect Cory Booker's like handshaking retail politics to a story of me seeing a retail politician like kind of get burned for being so outgoing something right. like that right. you know yeah. right. so there's always some kind of personal connection absolutely yeah do you ever worry about revealing more of you than you would like to reveal um, to a certain extent, I mean, the, the real vulnerability thing is that sometimes I just take liberties and tell stories about people, first name only, and don't hit them up, all right? Uh, or with some family members, I, uh, yeah, with some family members, I've done the same thing, too. And, um, and uh, that, I, I've always... I wonder if that's going to be something I look back on and I'm like, I shouldn't have done that. But it's some of them, I just want to tell these stories and they get such a reaction out of people and it's worth it for, for that risk, you know. Um, it's also got to be kind of therapeutic sometimes to get that shit out. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it's not even like... To, that. That is the thing that gives me some of the most pause. Um in ethics wise is just uh, I have gotten some clearances before from folks but sometimes I'm just like hey it's me on stage I said your first name sometimes I've changed names sure I've made actually a joke that I've made that I've, I've found has been made several times before is in Nazis and me I, I actually um, I'm, I'm telling a story from one of my ex-girlfriends like giving her actually a lot of credit for 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 her steering me right uh, on some stuff. And uh, I say, uh, my ex-girlfriend, uh, let's call her Stephanie, because that's her name. <laughs> right. And I, I got to stop doing that one. On, I got some dates booked for that show, Nazis and Me. That I've seen too many comics make that joke, you know. But that is kind of, uh, that joke for me comes from a personal place, because sure. I do change names. I do tell stories about people without running it by them. And... Uh, that is maybe one of the more, like, anxiety things in personal storytelling. Uh, just the ethics of that. And I, I have asked myself, am I going to cut that out? Am I going to keep doing it? You know? I mean, it's your life. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, 
I don't think it's unethical to tell stories about your life. I think it just changes not to cut you off. Yeah, yeah. No. I think it does change just if it ends up being in a larger platform. Um, uh, I'm a big Mark Maron fan, and I know that his father didn't talk to him for a while because of his book, Attempting Normal. I know that John Leguizamo's dad, when he did Freak uh, you know, over 20 years ago now, I love that one-man show. And his father hated his portrayal in there, which I think, uh, which, spoiler alert, I mean, the last line of the show is, and you, Dad, in, like, a good way. Right. But, yeah, I guess fragility get a fragile, yeah, you know, yeah, like, yeah. and maybe I would feel the same way. I don't know. Right. But uh, but that's something I think about a lot, yeah. If, uh, God knows, if Simon & Schuster uh, was putting out my book or HBO was putting out one of my solo shows, knock on wood, you know, um, then that would be, uh, that would be, I think, uh, a little different. I've actually unfriended people on Facebook due to podcasts. <laughs> really? How, I mean, what, what's the deal with that? I unfriended actually that same ex-girlfriend because I was telling a story uh, about her breaking up with me on a podcast that even at the time... I, I think I see. I won't name the name here. I think I overestimated the reach of this person's podcast because it was like, oh, it's like a Twitter verified person. This is going to be a lot of people. This might get back to them. I'm going to be sharing that I was on it, and it was like, mm, you know, probably could have stayed Facebook friends with my ex girlfriend. I guess I could Facebook request her on the way back to Queens you, you tonight. Could. I don't you know. Could. I've re- thought about it. Restart, but, yeah. uh, restart the friendship. Yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting topic to cover just because by virtue of talking about your life, you're going to mention people. They're not necessarily giving consent yeah. to, to the story, but also it's a part of your life. They don't necessarily need to give consent. I... A, want a bigger platform, like, be, and a big reason why is to deal with the pressures of things like this. It's just to have to deal with the pressures of um, uh, doing art with a larger platform. It's, it's exciting to me, you know, um, because, like, I'm excited to do uh, a theater festival in Portland, Maine. It's going to be great. I'm going to be there in a few months. Portland's uh, a great town. Yeah, and uh, uh, Fort Myers, Florida. I don't know why I'm like naming dates. Now. Not so much a great town. Yeah, see, sure. this is where I got booked. And, uh, <laughs> and I'm excited to go. I've actually never been to Florida either. It seems like this whole Americana thing I can't wait to experience. You've never been to Florida? I've never been to Florida, yeah. You might be the first person I've met in my life that has never yeah, been to Florida. Yeah, I know, you know. Uh, I'm get ready, Dave. Yeah, I know. You're, <laughs> see, you know, people saying stuff like this has me like ready to like... Take it in, and, and uh, honestly, I, I'm a big-hearted enough person that if I'm doing shows anywhere, I think I'm going to have a good time. To which, uh, if you really hate Florida, you've been saying to me, okay, David, I'll talk to you after you've come back. But I'm like, I ah, stop it. I'm sure <laughs> your show will be fine and you yeah. will have a good time. I just think spending an extended period of time yeah. in any part of Florida that is not Miami or a resort, you're going to yeah. be kind of like, mm, if you're me. Yeah, like yeah. You, are, you know, like a super, super liberal city yeah. type of person. Oh, boy. And let me tell you, I'm excited because the county of Fort Myers is in did not go that liberal way back no. in 2016. No. I'm doing this show about, you know, getting uh, trolled by Pepe the Frog people on Twitter for, you know, 
That's that's what my show's about. Yeah, uh, about uh, my Jewish community center getting bomb threaded when I was a kid. You know, probably by uh, by the, uh, folks who might show up to that Just festival. I don't know. But where was I going with all that? If I had the doing it in Fort Myers, Florida, in the theater and telling a story about someone in my family or something like that, that's one thing. But if it was going to be on, you know, PBS or HBO or something, I think that might be when I would need to make some tracks. To sure. It. Yeah. Sure. So you grew up in Virginia, right? Annandale, Virginia, like about 15 miles outside of D.C., right inside the Beltway. Yeah. Okay, so pretty urban yeah. environment. You weren't like, I have a friend, Andrew, who grew up in Kentucky. Yeah. I'm always like, you must have been the only Jewish person in that town. Yeah, well, I mean, where? I, I actually have Jewish journalism in Lexington, Kentucky. It's a college town. Andrew though. grew up in Lexington. Okay, yeah. That's hilarious. Yep. So, did you actually have issues? I mean, you were an outgoing kid. You seemed pretty well adjusted. Yeah. Did you have any issues growing up? I did, and in a way that I think positively influenced me in a lot of ways. Um... It would be a couple of things that, I guess, one, it gave me the slightest glimpse into prejudice and to bigotry and to just ignorance, too. You know, uh, a, a lot of times I would get bullied and people would tell me they didn't mean it. Uh, they were just making jokes, like, you know, the cheapness or, sure. you know, like uh, the horns, all, all this stuff like this. Um, and... Uh, but a, a huge thing I got from it, like, my comeback always used to be, like, well, you can make fun of me because I have something unique about me. It's hard to make fun of you because you're bland. <laughs> and you were able to come up with this at, like... Yeah, in, like, middle school was, like, the huge time that would happen. And I thought, like, I think that otherness was a good thing to have in a lot of ways. And I still, I still do the holidays and, and get kind of, you know, pick my own thematic things. Um, that was going to be my next question. How observant are you? I, uh, I mostly, almost entirely holidays. It's almost like, it's almost like I'm like a festival Jew. And I'm not just <laughs> like, I'm not just a gastronomical, like, I love all of the, uh, cultural stuff too but I do take it one step further like for the first time since I Yom Kippur that's that's the one where you don't eat for 25 hours and I grew up in a pretty observant house not like orthodox but conservative leaning orthodox sure and, um, and I used to fast on Yom Kippur and Yom Kippur last time I did it was my 13th birthday and I, I had no cake no nothing no party uh, all day, just was hungry all day. Wait, so the day legit fell on your 13th yeah, birthday? Yeah. That's unlucky. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that really took me out of that ritual. And just last year, I did it for the first time. I did the 25-hour fast. And, like, I don't know if I believe in a higher power, but I do believe in that ritual of, like, okay, like Rosh Hashanah, that's the new year. You eat the apples and the honey. Isn't life grand? This is all good. I'm so happy to be alive. I'm happy we have fruit. I'm happy I have company. Like, this is my Judaism. Sure. Like, a lot of the, the bracha, the blessings I like, too, because a lot of them boil down to, like, oh, my God, I get to eat an apple. I, got, I, I can, you know, I'm here. Like, you're here. We're together. This is good. And then Yom Kippur is, like, uh, get hangry and think about how much of a jerk you've been. 
No. Yeah. That doesn't sound good at all. Yeah, but I like that because it's like, hey, last week you did the good one, and now you do this one. Even it out. Yeah, and like I like Passover because the whole thing, like, regardless of the, you know, the, it's just like this story of just like uh, your roots are humble, so stay humble, and uh, in bad times people need help, and you can be a helper. Like I get th- like thematic things out of sure. it. Sure. So that's the type of Jew I am. Okay. You know? Yeah. I can respect that. Yeah. In terms of your upbringing, being in Virginia, being being a semi yeah. at least observer, at least having parents who were semi observant Jews. And it was pretty like I would not be in school at Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Like right. it was pretty obvious, and you know I went to synagogue every Saturday. Right. So yeah, I wasn't like wearing the black hat, but the, the, yeah, but you know. But yeah, you're gonna ask. I mean, what did that did that impact your values, like positive or negatively, as you were growing up? Uh, I think it. In, I think it was mostly positive. In the time, it was tough, uh, but um, I got a lot out of like being othered and and trying to strive to understand folks who are like me. Then you know something like that. That's like the biggest single thing I got out of it. Uh, if I had kids, which I probably, uh, uh, not, not in the plants, uh, I would love for them to still be raised in it just because of that. That otherness was the most important thing I got out of it. Good. Yeah. And no one brought you to New York. Uh, so I moved here in 2008. I didn't even, I didn't even walk at college. I had uh, theater mostly. And you know, I had a job in an internship that fell apart the first week I was here. And then I just found like, a saying that I've come back to in my, you know, 12 years in New York, entering my 13th soon, which is like, New York will provide. <laughs> like, um, I have always found this place to be, uh, you know, a, a curious, driven, energetic, altruistic, you know, uh, if, you know, both altruistic and not taking any shit. You know, like, the, if there is any perfect hybrid of that, it is the New York personality. And it does exist. Yeah. Um, and just just the the uh, just depth of, of arts and theater and music and and that's what brought me here mostly theater and um, and I love it I really am uh, I'm a total New York optimist I um, you know like what what defines a New York optimist I just just understanding that uh, the, like letting yourself mourn bad things. But understanding that all cities change and trying to be uh, just a, a, a force for good change. And, and um, you know, everyone is going to share on Facebook when your favorite dirty water hot dog joint closes. <laughs> but trying to be a person who's just like, here's a great new venue. Here's a great new this. I really love this thing. We can flip the city council seat and they're going to do this. And, you know, hey, the 14th Street bus is actually working out okay. I know the subway sucks. And all the, like, trying to just, you know, be positive spin on And uh, have a year to the ground and, and, and just not get into a, um, I don't know why I'm applying this to New York. I don't know David Bowie's music that, that well, but, but a thing I admired about him is he never got cynical. He always, in interviews, would talk about, like, I like the new TV on the radio album. I'm working with Alicia Keys, one of our great songwriters. He didn't become like, it's always good when I was fake, and now it all sucks. You know, I, and to me, like, the New Yorker I want to be is the one who could, who could, 
who could get upset when there's a development in a story of Queens that uh, kicked out a bunch of businesses and is just vacant, and I don't know who the hell made money on that and be angry about that, right. or the inaccessibility of how they spruced up all the subway stations in my neighborhood and didn't add enough elevators, but also be like, wow, uh, that uh, Mexican food truck got a brick-and-mortar place. That's great. Look at that. A good upward-growing business. I'm right. happy about that. Uh, I don't know why those first example that came to mind. They just opened two days ago. Maybe you're hungry. Yeah. <laughs> but that's 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 what brought me to New York, and, and, I, and I do love it here. And uh, yeah, just keeping my ear to the ground, staying positive, uh, keeping keeping spaces open, keeping podcasts like this, trying to see art, do art, and uh, how important is keeping positive just to your overall being? Because. A lot of people I've talked to so far, and myself certainly, uh, try to keep positive as much as possible. And for some of us, that's sort of a learned behavior. Uh, I think, you know, I grew up in New York, and there's a cynicism that comes with being a New Yorker um, that you sort of have to fight against sometimes. Um, And, you know, I have depression-related things and anxiety-related things that sort of makes being positive like a really active process. Is that something that comes naturally to you, or is that just like a... I mean, I started nodding as soon as you said learned behavior. And I think I did... You know, I'm 34. I'm going to be 35 this September. I think it was around... Actually, I mentioned going to Emerson College, and uh, I had a thing there where I didn't have a good time there because everybody was giving you 10,000 words on like, that sucked and here's why. And then if you said, so what good movies have you seen lately to a film school kid? They wouldn't have very much to say. And I was in this environment and and, uh, where I think a lot of people wanted to be above things rather than be a part of something. And um, I think I started to see that I had that hardwiring in me and I started to try to work towards positivity. I still think I have that hard wiring in me. It's very, very easy to give in to uh, uh, this sucks and it's bad. It's to be yes. Uh, but um, it is... Uh, you saying learned behavior is actually a way I don't think of it very often, but it's totally having to teach myself to, to, to do that and... Um, in fact, with like social media, I try I, I, I try to share something that's going to make... If I see a great movie, I want to shout it out. If I see a great play, I want to shout it out. If I see something, you know, great in New York, I try to shout it out. It's just even things like... Um, Oh, what's his name? Congressman Delgado. Like, I phone banked to flip an upseat state. Oh, and the phone banking worked. And we flip that seat red to blue. That's awesome. You know? Like, something like that. Just trying to just, like, uh, uh, shout that out rather than just, like, you know, oh, my God, all these terrible judges being appointed by the president. But also not turning the blind eye to that. Right. You know, and engaging directly with that. So, yeah. But finding that balance can be can be pretty tough. It but feels like a moving target. Yeah. You know, actually, you know, to tie back to the religion thing, uh, there is uh, uh, this value uh, in Judaism, chai, uh, C-H-A-I, similar spelling to chai, chai. like the tea. Like, like the latte. Yes. Um, <laughs> and 
it's just uh, denominations of 18. This like weird, uh, this is probably sounding a little woo-woo. But I have, here's another part of my Judaism. Like take, for example, when I hear that Alabama has a state bill that's going to close down abortion clinics, I find the, not, Planned Parenthood's all good and fine, but I find the specific Alabama one, this organization, the Yellow Hammer Fund, I, I read the news that makes me sad. If I have a little disposable income, you put some money in. High. $18. There you go. And if I'm really sad, $36. Double the denomination. But that's, to, to me, that's, that's, to be honest, that to me is my faith more than uh, going to synagogue or, you know, having to like separate men and women and which I did not I did not grow up that environment yeah but uh but that does help sometimes I found you know and, and it's uh, it's I guess uh, you know having employment a privileged thing oh. having having to just like throw money at something uh, and uh, I know that's not the end all be all but that sometimes helps sometimes I could be like Soothe the burn a little. And the know? fact of the matter is that these places need money to stay afloat. So and I just think to myself, like, if there's enough people as angry and sad as I am who are giving anything dollars, you know, how many people is that? You hope a lot, and then it's like a cumulative type of thing. Yeah, you know, right. that's just one type of, you know. Same with phone banking, which I mentioned before, like, you know. If you're calling and you got through to 50 people who, who know their polling place and if enough people got through to 50 people, dot, dot, dot. You right. know. Um, but that kind of goes hand in hand with that, um, just trying to break myself from just being like, <sighs> the world sucks. The world sucks. Everything sucks. Everybody sucks. The world Everything sucks. sucks. And then it's always sucked. And, and I guess the more cynical anxiety thing is I would like to live a long life. And sometimes I think to myself, how much progress am I going to live to see? Which sometimes thinking about that can be very depressing. But you know what? It's some a little older than you. Yeah. And I, I have seen, despite, look, I'm not going to tell you this world is, there are not shit show elements to the world that we live in now. Yeah. But, you know, knowing, you know, what the world was like in... 1980 or 1995 or, or whatever, you can see clear progress from, you know, we'll give it 1995, I was 18, 19 years old, to 2010, so that's 25 years. There has been distinct progress. Yeah. Um, and you, uh, you can't really lose sight of that, even though the world sucks for a lot of people, most people. Yeah. You know, it sucks for women, it sucks for people of color, it sucks for queer people, it sucks for immigrants, it sucks for... Trans people, it sucks for lots and lots. Poor people, it sucks for lots of people. Overall, like in total, the world is a much better place in 2020 than it was in 1995. Even if it's just by virtue of the fact that we can acknowledge that there's all of these shitty things in the world and commiserate with each other in a way that we were not able to 25 years ago. Yeah, I mean, the amount of things I... Uh, like Twitter's awful. Here's a great example. <laughs> T- Twitter is awful, but um, like the fact that uh, they didn't teach redlining in, in Fairfax County Public Schools right. where I went, and the fact that I've seen this conversation have been like pointed to books that I can read about like redlining or voter suppression. Uh, I, I, does that happen without social media? Maybe, probably, but Not just quickly. But just the fact that I had like. When I think of the good parts of social media, I think, like, I got, th- how many people I follow? Like, 300 geniuses in my pocket. Maybe not all of them are geniuses. But, 
I have a lot of folks like coming at me or exposing me to ideas that I wouldn't have got. I didn't get them in school and and, and uh, good things from a hyper-connected world in yeah. a lot of ways. Um, and that's better. You know, that's getting better. And um, yeah, I, I, I sometimes before I zonk out at night, I'm thinking to myself, like, I think it's a better time to be human than ever. It is. And then, uh, and then that corrodes. Hopefully, before, <laughs> hopefully, hopefully, I don't think. Hopefully, that thought doesn't fall apart before I just fall asleep Sweet. happy and can wake up miserable the next day. <laughs> I'm going to switch gears on you. Yeah, do it. What would you say are the most and least traditionally manly things about you? Hmm. This is a hell of a question, and look, let me. I'm not going to switch gears on it. But here, let me tell you a thought that I've had. For the longest time, I thought to myself that uh, I like theater uh, and that um, I love... Uh, I, I, the best drug I've ever done is seeing a dog walk down the street, you know? like That's a pretty awesome drug. You know? And, uh, and I love going to the zoo. And uh, I haven't gone full vegetarian, but I have made meat like a, a very rare thing in my life. I... Appreciate and don't understand you. Oh yeah, <laughs> like, and, but I, I guess the thing—the thing I'm trying to say is like theater, um, animals, um, not wanting to have dead uh, living things in my body or dead, you know, I guess uh, organisms that, that let us, you know, sure, I, I, animals. Yes. Yes. These might be things like tender things, and those are the things that come to me. And I always think to myself, like, oh, did I have more femininity? Uh, because of growing up with uh, my sister, um, that was my one sibling. But then I think to myself that uh, that all the things that I think of as masculine, that I I love uh, sports. I'm a huge sports fan. That I love action movies. I love um, I you know I I saw Terminator Dark Fate. I was told it would be the third best Terminator movie, <laughs> and it was unfortunately the fourth best Terminator movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, so something like that, you know, um, or uh, uh, like uh, like you know, like the type of mainstream pornography that was was uh, that I you know did that show, and I tried to have queer stuff in there, but that was not my I, my male gaze. This is the the hetero cis head that I'm looking out of. Right. Uh, but the thing I think to myself is I always thought, oh, my sister got me into more feminine things, and then like uh, I, I had. I'll give you just one example because I'm always asking myself, like, what makes something feminine? What makes something masculine? Right. So I, I, I follow the, the Women's National Basketball Association because I love basketball. It's basketball in the summer. Um, I also was a little kid in 1996 when the women's Olympic team was huge and then the WNBA started. Right. Like, I generally, generationally, that's been a huge thing for me. And my hometown team, the Washington Mystics, finally won the WNBA championship. And a, a key part of that, the most iconic part of that, and unfortunately WNBA not as discussed, was their player Natasha Cloud. They beat uh, Las, the uh, Las Vegas team. And someone on the Las Vegas team said that she needed to hit the gym. And after they won, they won on the road. And she went to center court on the Las Vegas Aces logo and did push-ups. <laughs> All right? And then I said to myself, like, that's like, uh, in our culture, it's a traditionally masculine thing. Yes. But here is a woman. 
in the league that, let me tell you, sometimes I feel like the WNBA exists just to out-sexist men on the internet. Go read, and if Sports Illustrated runs any article on the WNBA, just go right to the comments. Oh, douche, 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 toxic, toxic, awful, awful. Uh, it, it just is, as much as I love the game and the sport, and I'll forever remember watching the Mystics clinch at home, that team, I, I guess that was a moment I had when I thought that was something traditionally masculine, but it's in the, the women's league that almost... That it, it doesn't entirely exist, but for me, a big part of it is outing toxic, toxic masculinity. That was just like a like a threads moment. I guess to answer your question, theater loving animals, not wanting to eat animals, I think are maybe things that uh, read as tender or feminine to me. And uh, action movies, sports, uh, and like male gaze, like ooh. Hey, David, you're supposed to think that's hot. I'm like, yeah, it's pretty hot. You know, <laughs> those are the three things that I think, and yet I see the fluidity in in all of it. How how that's the thing that's masculine is for the it's for women as well, and and uh, the thing that's feminine is you know I guess I didn't give a Natasha Cloud example of the fem yeah. You know. Well, here's what I'm processing yeah, as as sure. we're having this as we're having this part of the conversation. Yeah, there was the monologue of this conversation. <laughs> no, it's not a monologue at all. I don't. I never really thought of animals hmm, as yeah. masculine or feminine. I don't, I don't know why I thought about that one either. I, I, I always just like that's something that always feels. Like, were you going to say more to that or specifically to animals? No, yeah. but also like talking about the male gaze. Like there's multiple kinds of, of, of male gazes, and even like the stereotypical straight male gaze. I'm not even sure totally what that is. Yeah. Um. So, you know, I mean, I can, I guess, imagine it. I mean, someone's, like, blonde and buxom and... But, yeah, just uh, trying to figure out, like, what what exactly is the male gaze? And I, I'm coming from a significantly different perspective yeah. than you, both from uh, in a cultural, an ethnic cultural standpoint and a, you know, a queerness standpoint. But, I don't know, like, what is the, like, quote-unquote, red-blooded American heterosexual male supposed to... Yeah, at like, least in terms of, of, of you know desire. I I mean to me like when I when the first thing I think of when I think male gaze is just like it's like these action movies like with the fast cuts and guns or hand to hand combat and like scantily clad women and all that. Sure. And then uh, it's such an easy pop culture one. They've been a. I'm just gonna go right to movies, I guess, because there's been an interesting dialogue that like Suicide Squad came out, and then the new one is directed by a woman, and a lot of people have praised it because it's an action movie, colorful comic book, but lacking this male gaze. And I, I don't even know. I didn't see Suicide Squad. The one that I'm interested to see, I love the Charlie's Angels movies, directed by that guy Mick G, with Drew Barrymore, <laughs> Cameron Diaz, and yeah. Lucy Liu. I love those movies. And then uh, Elizabeth Banks directed one a few months ago, and I, I still need to catch up on that because I want because I, that also was kind of praised for like an action movie, guns, hand-to-hand combat, woman's view on it. It's it's hard for me to define that other than when people sometimes people say that has a male gaze and I think yeah like 
it's so often like advertising maybe like they're just like don't you think this woman is hot and I'm just like yes I'm feeling a certain chemical reaction that might flat out disgust someone sure who's not cis straight white male you know um and uh trying to be aware of that I guess I, I don't know I can't I don't even know if I can define I probably need to Read more books. <laughs> yeah, you know something. That's an answer that kind of comes from yourself. I mean, yeah. you, just, you gotta define what that means to you, as opposed to finding like a textbook definition of of, of what it means. And and like the the, the other thing too is like uh, sometimes I feel like things that are male gaze are just like a woman can just be like, yeah, I know that what's that guy's name? Tim Miller directed the new. Um, uh, Terminator movie, but I love that movie too, and I'm a woman, and like, um, I had an interesting one, uh, I watched a ton of horror movies in October with my girlfriend, this is a thing we do every year, uh, Jason Blum, uh, Blumhouse, made a comment, he was asked why Blumhouse hadn't put out a horror movie by a woman, and he said that women inherently aren't interested in making horror movies, and that night I watched this movie, Raw, by this this French woman, and there was a scene of a woman getting a Brazilian wax in it that was supposed to be like terrifying and butt clenching and tense. And I was like, yeah, I couldn't have pulled that off, man. That was a terrifying sequence. That was like, they, I think that was woman gaze, like right. obviously. But right. um, uh, but the, there's like a whole stew of things. I guess I, I you know a little less so now that I've gotten older. First of all, I don't know if animals are like a, a feminine thing because you think of like, you know, the 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 guy in the maga hat being nice to his dog, right? Something like that. Sure, but that is something that like feels like I keep using the word tender to me that I've like I've kind of fallen more in love with animals and more seeing them that like it, it, it has to be like an occasion. And I think I see what you're yeah. getting at. Like yeah. animals produce feelings. I think. Yeah. They're not. I, I just traditionally described. It, it, it started, and I'm, I, you know, this is a very recent turn in my life, I should say, and I'm not going to become one of these, you know, people for the ethical treatment of animals. <laughs> I, I don't know if it needs to be anyone else. Just for me, like, I, I really started being places, and an animal. If I was eating a steak, I was like, I do not like doing this. I do, it doesn't feel right to me. I don't like it. You know, that's just just become me. And I also, at the same time, though. Uh, steak can be delicious. Like I'm not, I'm not like you know tearing away from that. Right now, is there any part of your masculinity that that you sort of wish wasn't there, or that you want to change? Or, or? I mean, the big one is anger. I got to tell you, I don't like getting pissed off. Yeah. I mean, are you an? Would you consider yourself like an angry person? Do you. Um. I. I don't know. I turned to it too quickly. I think is the most diplomatic way. Oh boy. If there was someone else in here, uh, so I've, I've been I've, I've been dating uh, this woman Paige for eight years, and I love her so much. Um, eight years is a long time. It is a long time, um, and uh, yeah, she's my best friend. She's my teammate, and she sees that side of me. And uh, I, I tell myself that it's 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 uh, oh it's it's very rarely at her. It's near her. I'm like that's not good either, yeah. man. Yeah. Like so, what you can't find the fucking milk cap. This is not a screaming moment, or you know, or uh, 
Oh, we're on a road trip, and I hate driving. Another reason I love New York. Uh, I'm taking the uh, love that I'm taking the subway home tonight. Even that's, if, that's why we are friends, David. Yes, I, you know. I, I am not a driving person. But if we have to rent a car, going on, you know, like, dude, you missed the exit. It's going to add 20 minutes. I understand it's frustrating, but there's no reason to. And I got to tell you, I get that from my dad because this is I, we, I make this joke. My dad would miss an exit on the Capitol Beltway, and he would always past tense yell. Shit! I don't know why it was past tense, but it was always a beautiful thing. And uh, and but it is the anger, and um, and uh, I don't know because this is the thing because I, women get angry too. But yes. I but I feel like there was something performative in my up, in my upbringing. Uh, and as, as a sports fan, like I'm a baseball guy, I love seeing the. Um, I'm trying, like Joe Girardi, I see you're wearing the Yankee hat. He wasn't really that kind of guy, but I know that, uh, like, uh, Bobby Valentine. I'm trying to think of a New York guy. Yeah, I mean, or, there's a big thing in the 80s, like, uh, you know, if you were around in the 80s, like Billy Martin. Somebody, Billy Martin, huge example. Yeah. Of, and, and, and the whole thing of, like, you, so you get ejected and then you, quote, unquote, get your money's worth. And you just angrier and angrier and angrier and angrier and angrier and angrier. And I think I love that. And maybe subconsciously let that rub off into, um, into, uh, I'm trying to even think. They're usually stupid circumstances where I get angry. Um, and I've tried to curb that back, you know. I've tried to just, you know, I actually think part of New York toughness is not getting angry. Is, um, that guy did not mean to hit you with his messenger bag. Dude, it's the six train... It's six o'clock. Yeah, it's rush hour, and like people you, are gonna bump in. You had a long day at work, but like, part of toughness is not getting mad right. about that. You right. know, um, I used to get mad. I, I used to, um, and it never escalated to a bad thing. But I used to just feel like I needed to get my money's worth with someone, and then you know, and, and then uh, I would always pedal away. Someone would be like, "What was that?" And I'd be like, "I, I'm having one." <laughs> and then yeah, yeah, that's right, you fucker. You know, like, and I would just have to take it. And I'd be like, hey, you know, probably just should have toughened up. And that guy did not mean to bump into me, right? You know? was there a conscious stoppage of that? I used to. I was also very similarly. I, I grew up in a house where anger was, you know, verbalized pretty regularly. Yeah. And when I was in my teens and early twenties, I was the type of person that like I wanted to have the last word, and I wouldn't. I did not turn down a fight. Yeah. And at some point in my mid-twenties, it just stopped. Yeah. And now I feel it, but I can usually, you know, press it back down. Only time it really comes out is when I'm playing sports and I'm being competitive. Because mm. it's like competitive instinct plus, you know, testosterone or whatever the hell it is. And, yeah. You know, I, I will scream at people. But, uh... It was never a conscious decision for me. I, I, it was just some point when I was like, you know, I was screamed about this before, and now I'm just kind of like, eh. it's a, it, it's such a waste of energy. Uh, Paige hates it. That's a bit, another big one, a huge one for me. Is is I really try to tone it down. Um, you know, it's just simple things like being frustrated and and close fist hitting the desk. Yep. She's like, I don't like that sound. I don't like this energy. And uh, she, it's bad, you know? And that's usually the night. That's it. You know, we're having a good time. It's over. Right. All because I got an email I don't want to get or uh, something, you know? And it's stupid. It's dumb. It's a waste of energy. It's a waste of time. 
Um, and it's, it is like a, uh, it is like a, a I've never done uh, a cocaine or any of those things that last for like 15 minutes, but it's that. It's like, uh, it's, you know, it's just like a little rush. You know? Yeah, and then, and then you, you step know. back and like, what the fuck was I so mad about? Exactly, you know. Uh, uh, yeah, and it's bad, and your hand hurts then, and you, yes. know? And you just yell, you made a scene. Or, um, or I keep going back to public transit, like anger on public transit is bad. You are you are a problem. You are bringing everything down. You are you are almost as bad as that signal that went out in between <laughs> Queensboro Plaza and Lexington Avenue, man. It's such a just it's such a waste, you know. Um, and yeah, I mean, I still love. I, I can't quit it. It's a big reason in sports. Uh, I love. I love big anger in sports. I still love seeing managers get their money. Oh, yeah. I will YouTube NBA fights. Yeah. You know. <laughs> uh, I mean, I I must have watched Ma- Malice in the Palace was like right when YouTube was taken off. That's right. I've like watched the breakdowns of that and like, but and here's the thing, especially with Malice in the Palace. Malice in the Palace is bad. Like, that's not Kevin Garnett and Kobe uh, going back and forth just right. talking. That's, we can't, we, that's, we can't. That's we, assault. That, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's assault. And the same thing with just, like, fighting in hockey is fun, but concussions are bad, right. and I don't want to watch anybody have to get, not get brain damage. Exactly, but then uh, I always think to myself, well, David, if there's enough fights on hockey, there's going to be a concussion. Like, you know, we got to... I guess trying to think ethics of this, you know. Um, but yeah, I still I still love that stuff. I I still love uh, yeah, you know. There's something primal, man. Like there's something like you feel it internally when people get hated and, and you see like not you. I'm speaking in terms of me. This is oh, me yeah, personally. Yeah. Like, Royal, like, yes, I get like a charge. Yeah. When I see people like fight. You know, if I am sitting somewhere kind of minding my own business and I hear somebody, like, bang on the table, like, I will be triggered in a bad way. And so it's a weird sort of dividing line. Yeah. Um, you know, between violence when it's perpetrated towards you or in your general vicinity and it's real versus when you're at a game or you're watching a game on TV, it, it, there's a little bit of dissonance. Like, it still doesn't, it doesn't feel like it's happening directly in your yeah. circumference. I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to admit one of the most... Maybe not the most, I'm sure I could dig deeper. Something I do that I feel the worst about ethically, a little pre-bedtime watching, is watching fight videos. And it's usually at in the stands at sporting events, because I'm like interested by like, these people like the same thing I do when they're acting like this. And I'll tell you about one, just, I don't know if this is gendered, but and some, you know, it was a cruise ship, all right? On a cruise ship, and this, the happiest place on earth. And this guy is clearly drinking of all, but his wife is trying to stop him. And he goes, he starts swinging, and his wife yells. And it was painful to watch. I don't know why I watch these. I don't, I don't do it that often, and I shouldn't. But I was very, I, I, it was almost moved, like I was watching a drama because I'm like here for like the like, I don't know, whatever stupid, maybe masculine, awful, toxic thing this is hitting. But and, and so and the scrap happens. But then his wife pulls him away and, and is holding him, cradling him, like scared or, or just trying to soothe him, just like, like a shh type of thing. Right. And that was like dramatic. It was like as dramatic as uh, any of the movies I loved last year. There were dr- dramas, you know. 
That's something I will admit to. That I, I think that might be a to- toxic masculine thing. And I, and I try not to. I try to keep it. I think they're mostly... I'm trying, I, I try, like... I remember when, like, bum fights came out. Not, <laughs> bum fights. I've never seen one of those. I don't need to see one of these. And, and like, the ethics of that website, World Star Hip Hop, seem yeah. pretty bad. If it's just two people on the street in a bad neighborhood... But there is something about like fan, like fan fights. I don't know. Like, um, and I, you're a sporting fan, yeah. And I'm sure you've sat next to someone who you're like, that was a pretty good game. But man, I really wish I wasn't sitting near that guy. Right. And what happens if that goes to the next level? Right. I, I I don't know why I watch those, but I do. You know. There's, I'm telling you, man. There's a charge. Yeah. I, when I, if I'm at a game and. I get into it like talking back and forth with some guy. Like there's yeah. a, there's something in me. I don't know if it's like an adrenaline rush or whatever. Yeah. It is, but you know, I can't do that too well. And I do see DC teams here in New York. And usually, I think I you know I kind of look like a beanpole nerdy guy. And I, I which actually I think works to my benefit that I'm not some like huge old drifter. You're like all day, all day. Like yeah. I'm not. I'm not doing that. I. Uh, I, I have shaken hands of Mets and Islanders fans after games and, and talked about their team. You know, I'm not taking it too personally. Uh, but that's an anxiety-inducing thing. I'm seeing, I'm going to a... a that, that's a, always an interesting one, you know, uh, being a road fan. And I, I almost feel like I don't want this to be <laughs> a thing. Well, it's being on enemy territory. It is. And some people, it's taking care. They're like, this is going to be... A thing, you know. I've only had a few, and it's usually pretty good nature. I yeah. think they can usually tell that I'm like, okay. Hey, I lived in Boston for eight years wearing Yankee gear. Yeah, so I, I actually, uh, yeah, I did a few. You ever road seeing my teams in Boston, and I got I got it worse there than I did here. Yeah, so, yeah, because yeah. Boston sports fans are terrible people. And it's just, it's very. I don't know. I actually think sports fandom has become more woman inclusive in a way that's been great. You know, uh, I hear some people talk about things they miss about sports fandom that sound just like toxic masculinity. Like what? Like missing more of an intense atmosphere in the stands. Um, that I doesn't sound like that's something I want. It's a game. At the see, my whole thing is I'm not going to make. A huge investment in sports because when you win or lose, you still get paid. And also, <laughs> I got into sports because, with exceptions, obviously, I I, I I go to sports for good news or for bad news that doesn't matter. Right. Um. And actually, growing older, it's it, you know the NFL and uh, you know the NBA and the Hong Kong situation. I can't turn a blind eye to all that, but you know. It's still good news. It's still great news. I didn't think the Raptors were going to win it all last year. It was an amazing story. And it was good news because uh, go there for the good news. Uh, where the heck was I going with all this? Where you going but, um, I wondered at sporting events if I love the, I love carnival aspect of events. I love like the in-between whistles, um, like stuff in the crowd. I, I, I almost think that's a type of theater that I enjoy, like stuff like Kiss Cam or, 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 or stuff like, or the games in between and like Brooklyn Cycles like games, yeah. yeah, or just like uh, like trivia stuff or just um, mites on ice at Washington Capitals games, like the I, I and I think some people are like, yeah, I don't like all these bells and whistles. Can't 
just play the game, blah, blah, blah. And part of me, I've wondered if all that carnival stuff that I love, is it more feminine? I've asked myself that. Is it more for women and families? Was that the marketing term they had? And then part of me was like, this is just a thought that I've asked myself, right. just on the fluidity of, of masculine versus feminine. And I don't know. I don't know if it is. I, I like it better. I yeah. like that carnival aspect. Things to make things more family-friendly, make things more kid-friendly. Yeah. To make anything masculine or feminine. And I, like, think, because I, I go I go to games with, with friends of mine that literally are complaining about, like, man, why do they have to do all this? dog and pony show stuff and I'm like I like this stuff like to me this is this is fun because we're, we're all building a community when the game is on but this is like a different type of community right. now like you know also uh, uh, bring up Paige and myself I, I, every time we're at a game and Kiss Cam comes up we are like terrified and then when Kiss Cam ends we're not on it we're like thank god that's it's, we want to cheer and be like hey! You know, but oh my god, I don't want to kiss my girlfriend on the jungle She doesn't want to kiss me. Right. It feels like, uh, what is it? Like that's being on a stage that you do not want to be on. Yes, it's being on the stage involuntarily. Yeah, and yet I, I consented to it by going in there. You know, and then I'm sure you've had this in the game. If we don't kiss, people are gonna they're, they're gonna like keep cutting back to us. People are going kiss. You know. Uh. Yeah. Yeah. And is that toxically masculine? I don't, I don't know what that. I think that's just like some weird like mob mentality yeah, stuff. Yeah, I don't know. Oh my god! Be like, well, what if you like, you could be brother and sister, or, like cousins or something like that? How do they know? In fact, you know, to go back to like before, I was at a Brooklyn Nets game where they put uh, two Hasidic Jews in the full garb and they didn't touch each other. Of yeah. course. And I, and part of me was like, that was a little cheap by the jumbotron producer to do. Yeah. You know, but uh, I got a kick out of it. You know. My goodness. Yeah. And one thing that I really want to push forward with all of the conversations I'm having that I don't think enough people realize is how little binary there is in anything. Yeah. Like, masculine is not one. It's Nothing's a monolith, right? So having these conversations is great because it makes people challenge their notions of what masculinity is, what femininity is, you know, in some cases, what race, you know, what type of, of things race and ethnicity can do or what type of things sexuality can do. I think, for me, one really important thing that I've learned, and I think a lot of other people need to learn, is that there's a continuum. Like, there's not just a hardwire if you're not masculine, you're feminine. You know, if you're not feminine, you're masculine. If you're not, you know, like, it's everything exists on a scale, and, you know, there are a million and one points yeah. In between the two ends of the scale that most people, I think, fit in. I don't even think I had heard the word fluidity until a few years ago, to be honest. Yeah. And uh, it, I think it was relatively easy for me to grasp. And um, and it just, just uh, seems to make sense. And, uh, and I actually, I feel like I struggle more to, to think of, uh, like, I know that, like, John Rambo... Shirtless with the gun is supposed to be masculine. And gardening on a nice day in a community garden is supposed to be feminine. That's what it's supposed to be. And and but I don't like I, I it's hard to just like uh, I I think I am surfing on that fluidity, I think. Um or just not be it's also just about and not being territorial about any of these things when, you know, 
and uh, I don't even I don't even know if I could define the terms even right like when you asked me male gaze the sputtering and muttering that I did you know um, and then I think there, I wonder if there is like toxicity within it or if it's just the massive representation of media and that and that's the toxicity within it you know that's a big point I want to say that I, I don't know if I heard fluidity until I turned like 30 you know I mean it's a, a, a terminology that's really only become commonplace in the last few years so yeah. I don't think there's any any uh, anything wrong with hearing that any you know, some people it. probably still don't understand what fluidity is yeah I guess I'm just I just wanted to speak that you know to anyone who might might feel a, a similar way or you know yeah yeah but you can be you know it, again it's about a continuum like you're not going to be the same person today that you were last year or you're going to be next year. God, you um, hope so. Yeah. Know. I mean, and I think a lot of, you know, as we're talking about toxicity, a lot of that does come from a combination of sort of media manipulation and um, conditioning. Yeah. Um, Which I, I don't even like know. Like, I, I do think to myself about media and conditioning that I used to have a poster of John Cusack and Say Anything with the boombox. And that was such a romantic ideal. And then, like, as an adult, I'm like, I, that's, if someone, if A, if I did that, I, I think it would be against my values. Uh, if someone said, I don't want to see you anymore, and even if it's because of your father... Uh, is it, spoiler alert, I guess, for the first Say Yes, he's yeah. 30 years old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So it's just like that image is kind of, kind of like a little baby. It's cold outside. It's a little. The fact that I had that on my wall was conditioning something in me that I hope I didn't take. You know, as far as I know, that you know, not being like, are you sure? Are you? I'm a pretty good guy. Are you sure? You know, like it's restraining order worthy. Yeah, it's it's not it's uh, not right. And and also if someone and. It's not a romantic thing, but when it's the times of my life when it's just like, oh, no, no, thank you. And if someone does something like, how about you listen to this song outside my window? I'd be like, what the fuck is going on? Right. This is terrible, right. you know? Um, but that's some conditioning. I do think about that Say Anything poster on my wall sometime. That's uh, a really interesting thing to bring up. Yeah. I, I, that never... Well, I think the sort of creepiness of it has occurred to me in the fairly recent past. But, I've never but just the fact that I woke up every day as a teenager and saw that on yeah. my wall, uh, that puts something in there. You know, yeah. Some hard wiring, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah. as you grow older, I think there's as much stuff you have to unlearn as there is that you have to learn. Ugh. Yeah. Which is like... <laughs> Yeah, which is like both an empowering and exhausting thing, yes. you know. And actually, those are the two sides I was talking about. You need to let it be more empowering than it is exhausting, or yeah. then you know, you're not doing the good work, you know. I want to thank David Lawson for being so open, so honest, and so funny. This was a great discussion. And fun fact, David Lawson actually grew up and went to school with Peter Andre, who was featured a couple of episodes ago, and I did not know that until the day that I met David Lawson. So that's a pretty awesome fact. Thanks again, David. And if you want to know more about David Lawson, he has a website. It is dtlawson.com. That's dtlawson.com. And you can uh, view some video clips of his storytelling, his appearances on Comedy Central, and learn a little bit more about him. Thanks again, David. 
And thank you for listening to the Detoxicity Podcast. Please make sure to follow or like or leave a comment on whatever platform you're listening to the show on. And if you want to know more about Detoxicity, go to facebook.com slash detoxpod or follow me on Instagram at it's Mike Joseph. If you would like to be on the show or you know somebody who would be a good guest on the show, feel free to drop me an email, detoxpod at gmail.com, or you can reach out to me on one of the two aforementioned social media networks. Once again, I wish you health and safety continued, and I thank you for listening. I'll be back next week with another episode. Stay well. Thanks.